Hello and welcome back to the MCU Need to Know. This is a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. And I'm Jude. Uh, Trey, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. I, uh, I'm i super excited to jump into our first meaty episode of, uh, of this podcast. Oh, me too. I'm really excited about this. to get a chance to talk about this, but I do want to tell you, I was thinking about last episode, mm-hmm. um, and you asked what was my favorite, and that went with Homecoming. Yeah. Uh, the other night, I rewatched. Uh, I rewatched it. It was in game, and I basically picked it up where I left where I left off, and I had the same like uh, excitement um, mm-hmm. when uh, uh, Cap got the hammer. You yeah. Know? Black Widow died. I teared up. Man, it's a tough call going back. I it, might have to I have to think about that. It's so funny you bring that up today because I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil a little bit of what we're our in question for this week was. We were tasked with like coming up with the top five MCU movies, and last week I said my favorite movie was Winter Soldier. But when I sat down to like write out my list, I instinctively put Endgame first. And I, honestly, I think at any point. Like any day you ask me, it'll either be Winter Soldier in game. Like I just cannot make my mind up. Oh yeah, I, I found on my phone an old list. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, the date March thirteenth, twenty nineteen. So it was shortly after Captain Marvel, and Homecoming's at the top, uh, but I hadn't in game wasn't out yet, mm-hmm. right? So it was. I need to revisit this. And, and when I say this, this is this is a full one to twenty one list. Oh, oh! You went all the way. Oh yeah, this is a one twenty one list on on my phone that I found. That is interesting. I it would be cool if totally privacy up to you to get a screenshot of that and like post that somewhere on any of our social medias because that'd be kind of cool to see. That that can be done. Cool. I I think I need to sit down and do my full list because I only have the top five. Yeah, and this was again I I I wanted to see because I knew I had it and so I knew we had to do their top five. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna go find this old list. And to be honest, I'm not sure how I'm feeling about it. So yeah, yeah, uh, we'll save it to the end. Yeah, <laughs> well, uh, there's a little preview of what to expect. But as far as what we're doing today, as a, as we said last time, at the time of this recording, we're living in a time where release dates are kind of in flux. We just found out, I think this week, that Black Widow has been pushed to November. I think that's correct. I think that was a November date. And uh, yeah, November date, uh, that was what used to be the eternal spot. And mm-hmm. that got pushed to Everything like, February. Is- basically been shifted down one so yeah which makes i think 2022 is going to be a big year for mm-hmm. marvel yeah and a lot of movies if i remember right so a lot of movies a lot of disney plus shows so uh, our original plan was to kind of gear up and get ready to to dive into black widow and discuss that here on the podcast but we're going to take uh, an alternate route and we're going to be going back through the netflix marvel show daredevil now have you You've seen this, correct? You've seen all of Daredevil, right? I've seen all three seasons. Season, oddly enough, season three is my favorite, and mm-hmm. I've only seen that once. Season one and two, I've seen multiple times. Uh, I think the once is because I'm just waiting for my wife to watch it because she loves she loved the first two seasons. So I'm trying to get her to watch the third. Um, I might just have to give up on that and watch it again <laughs> myself, anyways. Um. So me personally, I have seen all of season one of Daredevil, but for whatever reason, and you can attest to this, anybody who knows me can attest to this, I'm incredibly bad at like keeping up with shows. And unfortunately, Daredevil was one of the ones that kind of like got the axe, despite how much I loved it. So I, I'm really excited to be diving back into this because after going through and watching the episode that we're discussing today, it is, 
it's phenomenal. I forgot how good this was. Yeah, it it really is. Well, and some of this we'll talk about in just a second, but it, I, I just love that they pulled off the darker tone. Yes. You know? Especially to bring up the Matt, no, not <laughs> Matt Damon, the Ben, Ben Affleck, uh, <laughs> <Daredevil> movie. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to bring that one up, which I, I mean, I'll be honest, it wasn't. I mean, it's not great, but it's it's. It, I like to use the phrase. It's one that I can sit there, eat some popcorn, drink some cherry coke too, and I'll be entertained, mm-hmm. right? Like it's. It, I, I'm not going to turn it off and walk away from it. But I, th- this show definitely catch captures Daredevil far better than uh, that movie did. So funny enough. My only introduction to Daredevil prior to this, as will be the theme for most of the stuff we discuss, was the uh, Ben Affleck version. I I have never read any of the comics or really didn't even know about the character until the Ben Affleck version. Um, I honestly, I if you tried to get me to recap it, I don't think I could remember much of it. So I'm kind of glad that this one is the one that remains the the Daredevil in my head. It it's like how it's like what we talked about with uh, Amazing Spider-Man two. Right. It's like if that's your first introduction to Spider-Man, it's kind of a disappointment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas, you know, if Homecoming or even Far From Home is your first introduction to Spider-Man, it's fantastic. Or, God, enter the Spider-Verse, right? I I realize it's not MCU. But if that's your first introduction to Spider-Man, you you scored well. Right. Um, And I'd say the same thing for these Daredevil shows. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you have, before you get, jump into it, do you have any comic uh, knowledge of the character Daredevil? A little bit of comic knowledge. You know, I knew he was a character. I didn't really read him much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that, especially, I mean, through Frank Miller, Frank Miller does a lot of dark, darker toned and darker themed things. And so like the Man Without Fear, I think Born Again is the, the graphic novel storyline that I think season three kind of follows that definitely the black costume was a frank miller inspired thing but i but i'm not i'm not as well versed as as some of the as as i should be well all right let's go ahead and uh jump into it so episode one titled into the ring uh to me i think the thing that i was most impressed after coming away from this pilot episode was how economical it was and setting things up so quickly like just from the beginning, the opening scene opens up with him giving a confession and kind of setting up the ties between Daredevil, Matt Murdock, and his um, and his religion and how much that plays into his character. Yeah. Well, before that, I did say, you remember that the the ooze that blind him? If I remember right, I think it's the same ooze that turned the turtles into the Ninja Turtles. Oh, right. And in the comics, yeah. That's actually really cool. Yeah. Uh, no, but I, I agree with you. That confession scene. Okay. One of the things I loved about that scene is I felt like they got it right in a lot of ways when, from a Catholic's perspective, they got it right in a lot of ways. And then a lot of ways they, it could have been better, but, but yeah, there's the setting up this whole dual nature, letting the devil out. Is humanity good? Is humanity bad? You know, as far as like the major thesis so to speak of this show mm-hmm. uh, or, or this series um, yeah I loved the way and I, I loved the way it was acted where he had that that kind of smirk on his face mm-hmm. like he, like you could tell that like he was excited when he said you know uh, what I'm about to do and you know that line on paper sounds cheesy 
but Charlie Cox delivers it in a way that just feels badass. Like I really enjoyed that line because I because I kind of like when they the way they set it up, you can see that they're telegraphing that that's the line they're about to go with, and just the way that he ends up saying it, it just it really hammered it home. Like it felt cool. Yeah, no, that was that was a really, and I like the way that they told that he to get there that story that he told, you know, um, because it was a simple shot scene, right? Mm-hmm. Just this shot reverse shot kind of thing in that confessional but through his tone of voice the way he told that story i mean you learned a lot about him you learned a lot about his dad uh and the murdoch family yeah the reverence he had for his dad's fighting days and like that that can take a punch and get back up kind of spirit oh yeah yeah and then really from there it because it i i had missed the part with uh, uh showing him being blinded as a kid then it goes into the confession and then it, it goes straight into him as daredevil by the docks and we see i think this is the first time that we see him kind of like be the superhero persona and and take down these gang members and and save these these women it felt very batman begins which is really nice kind of like tying into that that almost darker feel that you were talking about well you know what i i thought about batman begins too Mm -hmm. and what is it about the docks and those types of train cargo cars that that just that night trope (laughs) that 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 you see all the time and it works Mm -hmm. right but what really stuck out to me about that scene was just how well and i don't know if i noticed it the first couple of times because i guess i wasn't taking notes in this way just how well that the directors like the director basically was teaching us I mean, yeah, you saw this fight. You saw that he was skilled, and that was fantastic. But they had that element where you'd hear the click of the gun, and then they cut to that kind of profile shot, and you see him slightly turn his head. You know, there's a focus on the ear. They change the sound, and and you get that visual and audio cue of like, oh, this is how his powers work, Mm -hmm. right? And so so I just I liked how from the outset – they were very intentional about trying to teach the audience of like, Hey, this is how his powers work. And this is what to expect the rest of the way through. And and it was a really nicely done sequence. Now, and, I mean, all of this is done before we even get to the title sequence. So it's, it's just a really well done way to kind of like introduce us to the character. Oh yeah. And, and it's, and it's a good way to just like, Hey, we mean business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on from there, I think the next scene we get into is we get introduced to the character Foggy Nelson. To me, I think the reason why this darker tone works in this version of the MCU, because I think up until this point, everything's kind of been a little bit lighter, a little bit more comical in a way in the mainline movies. And this is the first time we're kind of really getting back to the darker, serious tone of the MCU putting it in conjunction with foggy i think is the the key to this because like immediately the levity that he brings is really nice right and the levity brought was really nice also what i really liked was just again how much in such a short span you learn about the two of them mm-hmm. you know the bantering between them and he was just like you know hey i heard she said you know blind people are god's mistakes or however he says it and, <laughs> and he's like and matt's like that's an awful thing to say i know <laughs> you know <laughs> kind of response um and just to have that (laughs) that that back and forth banter uh was fantastic you know and and learn a lot and also i I don't think i noticed it before you kind of come out of that sequence as well at least i did this time around where feeling like oh foggy's 
not the most moral lawyer in the world. Right. Or at least are they leaned into that stereotype of, you know, lawyers lying, lying and skirting the law, so mm-hmm. to speak. Because like it, he this is where my chronological notes start to take a dive. So I might be getting the scene wrong. But isn't this kind of where he, quote unquote, bribes the police officer to kind of like get him get him leads on cases? Right. Yeah. With the cigars. And like he says on the phone, he's like, hey, I got to go bribe a cop. You know, and he's like, oh, I'm just kidding. But no, really, I got to go bribe a cop. Right? <laughs> and, then, and, then he, and he brings, you know, and, and it's that lunch sack. So, you, you know, audience wise, you kind of set up for that. But again, that that humor, that levity there, because uh, when he looks into it, you find that it's the cigars. So it was, it was a great moment as well just to to kind of show his sense of humor mm-hmm. um, and what to expect from him moving forward. And it's really nice, too, because given not always, but it seems to be the way the stereotype is, is that you have the superhero and then they're ju- they're juggling being the vigilante and being on the right side of the law, which is what you have with Daredevil. But like you said, with Foggy, seeing that he kind of like skirts the line of what is legal and not legal, it I think it even solidifies their friendship even more to know they're kind of in different ways doing the same thing. Yeah. Well, and I'm going to push ahead just a little bit, like, right, because the very next thing they're touring their new office mm-hmm. right and you get two things a the first at the time when this was originally filmed the the first reference to the incident right from the first avengers movie uh calling it the incident but it's interesting because they're like talking about their clients and whatnot murdoch is takes the kind of an idealist approach and foggy's this pragmatic no we don't have any clients we can't afford this we need clients with money Murdoch doesn't care if they have money or not, which I also love just to, sh- to emphasize what you said in the beginning, that duality between him, you know, such an idealist by day and then vigilante by night. Mm-hmm. I wrote down, too, that the uh, the incident is the first allusion to the MCU proper. I One of the reasons why I struggled with whether or not this would be the great way to start this podcast is because I don't even know if technically Daredevil is still MCU canon, but it's been really fun to kind of like try and see where this fits in i don't think that this is actual canon now Mm -hmm. at the time when it came out i believe it was supposed to be now for me watching it last night knowing that it's not supposed to be it didn't bother me with that larger reference though to this incident like i mentally knew that that's what they were talking about but knowing that it's not canon any longer it it didn't bother me whatsoever you know I, i didn't lose any enjoyment of the watch or anything it's it still holds up on its own as a standalone thing yeah i think there's i think the references are small enough that it's okay to stand alone right you know um and it and it i did i did find it interesting though that that was the event that caused everything that puts this whole series in motion as far as the criminal activity but all shows have their MacGuffin. all shows have their thing that prompts that, that kicks the story off um and if you want to call it the incident and never mention the mcu i think that's fine mm-hmm. yeah, in, in terms of it you know standing the test of time and being a good show to watch okay so from there that we get the uh the scene where they're looking in their apartments they uh, decide on that um shortly after i think this is where we get our first case of the season right the whole bribing tips off foggy into introducing us to Karen Page. Right, yes. This is where that's... he. They get a call from... Oh, why can't I remember his name now? His buddy. 
from childhood. That's what I'm going to call him, his buddy from childhood. He gets a call from him, and I'm sure it'll come back to me. But but yeah, that's where you get into Karen Page. I remember the first time that I watched through this, I was really intrigued by, because this is really where we get our first case of the season, where she is kind of comes to in her apartment she's bloodied and she finds a co-worker dead on the floor and we're led to believe that she did this but of course you know as it unfolds she's denying that she did this and doesn't have any memory right and i mean it, they did a good job right of setting this up of making it appear like it's clear cut mm-hmm. but also using that to continue to teach right and meaning like because uh, I think before here we saw him do a little bit of vigilante stuff one more time, and they continued to show like how he's listening in. You mm-hmm. know, oh, this is this was say Foggy gets the phone call, but we hear that phone call through Matt's super hearing, so to speak, and it's kind of this over the shoulder shot, ears kind of focused, in focus, and so you can tell he's listening in and overhears. Then we jump into Karen at the precinct and he uses that skill. And we kind of, as an audience, I I think recognize how that works now. And he's able to tell like, or confirm our suspicions as an, as, as for, at least for me as a viewer that, yeah, she really didn't do this and kind of confirm that. Yeah. We, we believe Matt as Mm -hmm. we should. He's the main character. Yeah. I, cause I think specifically like he's listening into her heartbeat and like noticing how it's remaining kind of steady kind of signifying that she is telling the truth which just to kind of further cement what you said like it's cool how that super hearing ties in nicely with his lawyer persona as well as it does with his superhero persona oh yeah yeah and just in i don't know why i keep falling back on the production thing but even there like yeah it, you can tell they kind of focus in on him they focus in a little bit on the ear um, her voice gets a little bit hollow they kind of fade in a heartbeat and then he says yeah i believe you okay from there you mentioned that we had uh, some more of his vigilante work. Refresh my memory. What was that? Well, I'm I'm going through my notes, and I and I have a little dash here that says "Call Overheard by Murdoch, shot from behind his ear, focal point." Oh, you know what? I need to take better notes. I do too. That's uh, what is, I'm learning here. <laughs> this is this is the one I was just told you about, where he overheard. It wasn't the vigilante thing. It was it was where he overheard the phone call. Okay. Right. Yeah. Because then when I turn the page, yeah, it, it goes into that whole dirty cop kind of hard ass dirty cop vibe they tried to pull off. You know, what's it? What's a show without pulling out the some stereotypes? <laughs> um, you know, and and then they reinforce it. At, if you remember, they reinforce it at the end where he's like, "Even though you're blind, I." kick the crap out of you or whatever he says i love it because i think wasn't it foggy who chimes in? it's like oh dude come on are we gonna go there yeah 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 and you know and and it's almost like i think that's i think that was probably my i felt the same way swaggy felt the first time watching it right it's a low blow i I, okay i just looked it up cop's name is not his friend from childhood anymore it's mahoney mahoney okay i'm glad i looked it up because i was gonna say murphy but it's mahoney so, yeah, but no, you're right. That was that was a low blow, and I think Foggy had a great response to it. Really, kind of showing the the back and forth friendship that they have that he comes in at his aid. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this: What did you think of Wesley? I. So I'm kind of pulling on memory from my first watch through, because um, we don't really know a lot about him at first. He's kind of like the the second hand right hand man of the antagonist but we haven't been introduced to them yet right right he does such a great job of 
almost coming across smug, but in a way that feels like you know he can back it up. Like he he's on top of of what he's doing, and I liked him. And I don't know how much of this is like me pulling from what I remember of him playing through the rest of the season, or if they did a good job of introducing him in this pilot episode. No, I want to say I want to say they did a good job, uh, and mainly because I remember the first watch, I really liked him, mm-hmm. and even that second time, knowing or or not the second time, I guess whatever this third time. Uh, but watching it the other night again, I knowing like I really enjoyed the setup. I I think they really pulled off that kind of business, you know, no really or kind of fainting, fainting some kind of care, you know, mm-hmm. you know, when he's like, hey, this guy's methods, I don't really like, but this is the world we live in. So he's kind of but pulls off this, you know, all business, nothing personal. Yeah, nothing personal, and you're just like, oh crap, kind of, kind of feeling. And I thought he pulled that off really well in that first scene. Um, and I mean, and as we go through this, Wesley was a character that I really enjoyed. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to to following his story again. And kind of playing off what you said, like, what's a show without bringing out cliches? Like, it it, it is a cliche to kind of have the kind of charismatic villain who's like oh i really am on your side like i hate to have to do this that feels maybe not at the time but at least now it feels played out but that actor i don't have his name at the moment but that actor pulls it off really well and he he becomes across as like formidable and and kind of scary yeah definitely kind of scary sorry for my hesitation i had i've imdb up so i got the one the the Mahoney's name so I just thought hey I'm gonna pull up this episode and take a look at the cast list for the because I know Wesley right right I don't know who the actor is let's see I might have it here I got Wikipedia up Toby Leonard Moore as James Wesley (laughs) okay I don't I don't know which one's got more credible source that they're the Wikipedia or IMDb I was gonna say as soon as I said Wikipedia I could hear a hesitation in your voice how much is that the teacher in you (laughs) Oh my god! Much. You have no idea how much teacher that was in me. I'm like, oh my god! I haven't felt that way since high school. Like, I just immediately is like, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> For what it's worth, that's what what that's what Wikipedia has to say. Well, I, I'm I'm glad my my teacher voice goes over the internet. So, <laughs> so I, I I still got it, besides being out for a couple of weeks. Okay, so something I always found interesting, they they get back to the the Murdoch and Nelson office, right? And they start interviewing, you know, saying, okay, what actually happened? And she starts telling her a little bit about the story. Um, for the purposes of the episode, it's, you know, that expository kind of here's the mystery, you know, Scooby-Doo style where we're going to go <laughs> follow and try to solve the rest of the way through. But what I find interesting is I'm listening to it and, and what, what really struck me weird was like, it didn't make sense to me that opening scene. Why frame her, you know, listening to her story. And then I liked how the very next scene or, you know, or shortly thereafter, like she's staying at Murdoch's apartment and he uses his super hearing again. And then we hear the reverse. Like the first time she could tell that she was telling the truth, but now it was like, he figured out like she's holding something back, like, you know, holding that file and is able to use that super super hearing to figure that out. So I liked that at, at, at a moment, and I guess I just forgot about that scene. 
because I'm looking at it and thinking, it's like, no, this is a plot hole. This doesn't make sense. But then, you know, Murdoch being our hero, I filled it out, you know, mm-hmm. figured it out. It was really nicely, too, because if, if I'm not mistaken, I think they kind of lean into it where Foggy and Murdoch are kind of having a back and forth about like, hey, this is a clear cut case. And I believe Murdoch says something to the extent of like, she she's not lying, but she may not be telling the whole truth. And that's where we get to see him use his superpowers which is kind of a nice bookend from when we see it the first time to tell that she's telling the truth and then it reinforces what we saw in that first scene to realize that here she's not being truthful the way that her heartbeat starts picking up quickly because i remember in my rewatch i wasn't a hundred percent clear that's what they were doing that first time and then Mm -hmm. in this second example where we do get to see her heartbeat like start to speed up it's like okay that's really cool that they're tying in his superpowers this way a side note there's always there's always with these superheroes this weird like invasion of privacy yeah <laughs> like if this was the real world and his ability to do that is really creepy uh, i love it for the show and i love the way they show it <laughs> it's almost otherwise... like like it's funny you bring that up because the dark knight like i remember the first time i watched the dark knight i was like oh man that's that's kind of cool that batman has this power to like tap in everybody's cell phones and then now it's like no that's really that sucks <laughs> Yeah. And I guess as long as long as it's the hero doing it, we're okay. Well, I guess that's what it's supposed to be like a testament to like it's too much power for any ordinary person to have. But the reason these are superheroes is because we trust them with that power. But I don't know. It it, like you said, it doesn't kind of sit right. Yeah. Yeah. And that I mean, I didn't get much out of those scenes there in the you know, but as far as that goes, I like that little interaction of like like there's almost this recognition of like, oh, there's a plot hole and they kind of figure it out. Um, mm-hmm. and then next, I, I don't know what it is. I have this love for Wesley. Like we see Wesley again. It's that nighttime scene under that construction, you know, uh, they're like on this construction rooftop of that building, you know, allied building that wasn't finished. Mm-hmm. First time you see Madden, Madam Gal, no boo is brought up. The Russians are there, you know, and, and, and this is where they start to discover the man in the black mask, how much problems or how many problems he's actually causing for him. And I just thought that was a really good scene. There's a sense of mystery. I liked how, I mean, we all knew going in from casting that it's the Kingpin, right? right? Wilson Fisk. But they still went with the, no, we're not going to say the name. It's it's my employer. You know, we're it, not going to speak his name. It's kind a nice of, sense of, of restraint, which... I think we've we've talked about definitely off podcast before how like that's always been the strong suit of the MCU is their willingness to kind of like let things play out. And I think that's why Wesley works so well is because we were expecting Kingpin, but to be to be introduced to this character who is competent on his own heightens how imposing Wilson Fisk feels without actually having to be on screen. Oh, oh, absolutely. Like, because Wesley's highly intelligent. You get that sense that, like, he could be on his own, like you said, a big bad and pull it off. Uh, and, and and you have that imagination just echoing what you said that, man, if, if he's this, what is this other guy going to be like? It's a great way to leverage the what you're expecting versus what they deliver. So after, if I'm not mistaken, I believe after their, the villains meeting on top of the Union Allied um building that's we kind of get into our first real taste of what the daredevil series has to offer as far as like fight choreography goes um 
we kind of have the scene where Karen tries to sneak back into her apartment to recover the USB flash drive that she has all the important documents on. And she is attacked uh, by the people trying to tie up loose ends. And we see Matt come to the rescue. And it's honestly amazing the the way that this show handles combat. Because in a lot of the MCU, aside from what? Captain America, we don't get a lot of hand-to-hand combat, right? No, you really don't. And you, the agility they had in there. Uh, and one of the things I liked about it is all the visual and audio cues they were using throughout the entire episode. As him as Matt and at the beginning as Daredevil, you know, or the man in the the, the black mask, whatever. Um, they they also put it all together, mm-hmm. right? And so and so you're using like all of those elements on top of really good choreography. Yeah, you know, um, and and so you do, and and that first fight scene. I mean, you get a taste, but as you mentioned in the beginning, right? It is that kind of Batman begins dark, intentionally hard to see, where you have a really good look. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's still dark, but you have a good look look and, at it at this time. And I think the difference between that scene and this scene is in that beginning. We get a lot more perspective of the 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 gang members because we're trying we're we're afraid we're trying to be as afraid as they are as like we don't know where he's coming from and he's taking them down systematically. This time we get like we are with Matt like we in the way that it the 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 sound design is is played here like it's a heavy fight like you feel the punches and you feel like this knockout drag down. Uh, brawl between these two guys and it feels a lot more visceral than that first one like we it's almost like we get to see a little bit of the vulnerability that matt takes which i think honestly it plays in nicely into the flashback that we get because we get to a point where where matt takes a pretty heavy blow he kind of gets knocked down and we get to the scene where it's matt and his father and matt's a, a, a you know he's younger his father's really on him about doing good in schoolwork because he doesn't want him to have to be a fighter like his dad is. And I I think inserting this scene in the middle of that works wonderfully because we see, despite Matt studying and going on to becoming a lawyer, he still carries that burden to continue fighting. And it kind of asks a question that I think gets answered the next episode. What is it that motivates him to continue fighting beyond just seeking justice? Because it almost feels like there's a, a different thrill going on there. Oh, yeah. And and I think you're right. They do start to address that in that next episode. Uh, but you do get that sense of, uh, to go back to that first story, right? Like the Murdoch boys, right? Where it says the Murdoch boys have the devil in them, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and that story really resonated with them. And you see that here about his dad being a fighter um, and him taking that on with them uh, in this theme of like, I'm not going to ever give up this fight, you know. Uh, and you clearly see that. Plus, what I find interesting is when you get to that point, remember, he's fighting the same guy in the beginning who Wesley referred to. He was like, hey, wave at the camera. And he made that reference of, oh, I don't find his methods very tasteful or whatever. But this is so that kind of added to it when you rec- realize it's that character of like, oh, he actually has a formidable foe here, mm-hmm. which and I mean, we see this in other flashbacks and, and you kind of get that in this one too, I think where it's like his dad always was going up against this seemingly formidable foe and he didn't give up or well, he kept getting up right. back up. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I, can't, so I can't remember. I might actually be spoiling episode two, but I know it was one of the flashback scenes 
where his father has a line where he specifically says it's not about how hard you get hit. It's about how you get up, which is I that th- is was that episode? episode two? Oh, that's episode that was, two. OK, yeah. well, then we'll save that for later. <laughs> yeah. So hang, hang on to that one. <laughs> but but you're right, though. Even in this one, though, there is that still theme about getting back up. And then you come back into come back to that fight, and then he, you know, you see him getting up and finishing the fight strong. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it it was a really well done scene overall. Yeah, I I agree. And again, we know they get better. You know, is 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 the thing. Um, now, one of the things I loved about the next scene. Okay, so clearly, like Karen, they hire Karen in that next scene. They're celebrating. They've had this whole theme of like, even though Matt's blind he knows how to find the attractive women and is charming and stuff and they have that little line where she says yeah i make my grandmother told me never to make this except for my husband you know and and kind of thing but the two things and i'm old i guess or weird i don't know i watched it with subtitles so like i was pausing and jotting down dialogue by off the subtitles Uh, so i have some direct quotes here but i loved how you know, off of that comment, she said, well, it's filled with virtue, you know, and Murdoch responds. And, and I loved this line where he says, I thought I, I thought I detected a whiff of virtue in, in there, you know, and, and just kind of a reference to his ability that of, of smell, mm-hmm. you know, and, the, and those other scents. Uh, but also I felt like it was nice cause it, he was Murdoch again. And it was kind of that talk about virtue and really reinforcing him being this idealist, you know, a virtuous person about justice in the right way by the law kind of thing and reinforcing that, especially after such a brutal fight that we just got finished watching, mm-hmm. you know, it, it really emphasized of, of those. Uh, in fact, that was, I even jotted this down specifically to say, I thought I detected a whiff of virtue was his actual, the first line Murdoch says of that scene after that brutal fight, you know? So you really see that kind of juxtaposition of the two, sides of him right there and almost because you because you mentioned at the beginning of the episode how we get a taste of the duality of, of of matt and the you know the devil inside like that's a cool way to come off like a transition from that fight scene into being just matt murdoch again that's really cool i you kind of like and enlighten that scene for me oh awesome yeah awesome. i like that a lot uh, yeah and, and and that was just something that came throughout this whole scene because like even at the end right so like getting in the end he goes, right, don't turn off, you don't need to turn on the lights. He starts training, like at his old dad's gym. But I loved how they started cutting back uh, and basically just showing, what the, here's what he's in for, right? He's, they showed Madame Gao, they emphasized her workers being blind. You know, they showed Nobu and the plans. They showed the Russians. Uh, I don't remember if you saw Wesley again or some way you saw Union Allied, but you got a sense of, like, all of these different forces and it just getting getting aggressive with the music. Um, he got more aggressive with the punching bag, and it, and I just loved how they wrapped it up with this aggressive, anticipating tone of like, "Hey, you better buckle in." Yeah. Um, in, in a weird way, I and thinking of in this as my theme and this dual duality. Uh, this is very much a good introduction paragraph, so so to speak, of a, a of a of a long read, so mm-hmm. to speak. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's. Because much in the same way that I felt the intro was incredibly economical in the way that it set things up for Matt, the character, that that round table scene that you're talking about of different factions, like it's I mean, it, it it's 
a great way to wrap up how well this episode does at setting the stakes for everything. Like it makes showing us the various factions of this little slice of the world makes it feel grounded and intimidating because we're seeing Matt training for it and knowing that this is what he's up against. It's like it's showing just how high the stakes are. Yeah, I thought I I agree. I thought it flowed really well and really ended or put a good punctuation, you know, exclamation point to to that first episode. Overall, well done. Any any final thoughts on the episode before wrapping this one up? You know, I I guess my my final thought was I'm I'm just really impressed with how well it holds up in terms of and we talked about it briefly that relationship to the MCU canon non canon of like, yeah, it's still kind of tangential a little bit, but, you know, it didn't add or take away anything, you know, um, in that sense. It was still a, a fun episode to watch. And yeah, I, I'll be honest, like I went right in, watched the second episode and was ready to start the third one. Yeah. I was like, it's, it's late. I got to go to bed, <laughs> you know, and, and, and kind of and kind of put a pause on that, but, it, but it did, it had me feeling like, yeah, it, it's time to watch the next one. Being a, a Netflix show where it was all released in one sitting, like it's, you can definitely see how it's just a bingeable show. I will say when that first came out, I was in my binge watching days. Right. And like I, over time I got to where it's like, okay, I'm going to kind of drag it out a little bit. And I think Jessica Jones, to be honest, was the first show that I really started to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mainly because that was just so heavy that I had to. But Daredevil, I think I was done with that in two days. (laughs) Maybe less. Like, I, you know, a weekend came and like, yeah, I just went right through it. So so what about you? What were your ultimate impressions or concluding thoughts? I am very thankful that we're going through this again because like you said, it definitely... It, it is a standalone thing. It, it doesn't feel like it has to rely on the MCU proper to be on its own. I think one of the, the, the frames at which I'm kind of like going through this again is one, trying to catch where the references are to MCU proper. But two, and I think you've brought this up when we first started talking about this podcast, is is it possible to have these characters make a return? Because even though I think Daredevil is canceled, I know you and I know other fans in, in on the internet have expressed wishes of having Charlie Cox come back as Daredevil into the mainline MCU. And so I'm trying to see how he would fit moving forward. Because like we said, it is a darker tone, but I would be excited to have him have him come back into the movies or his own Disney Plus show. Right. I, I can see where the Daredevil side of him so to speak might be a little bit difficult because of that darker tone mm-hmm. but the matt murdoch side and foggy nelson side and that bantering back and forth with them um and then throw you know peter parker in the mix uh thor roadie like you know, i mean imagine thor right or roadie ant-man and foggy nelson and kind of in that bantering right and um, and even Matt Burdock. So as as we see it here, so like character wise, especially from there, it might be a little difficult with Daredevil. But you know they surprised us with Guardians, right? Like that was, I don't think people expected it to do what that did. So it's possible. I'm excited. I'm I'm really excited to see how the rest of the season plays out, and to eventually get to the ones that I haven't seen because I've only seen the first half of season two, and that's it. Yeah, I'm really excited when we get to that point to to hear your thoughts on it the first time through. 
All right. Well, uh, that's going to do it for our discussion of Daredevil Episode 1. I do want to go ahead and throw this out there as a way for you to chime in if you'd like to join in. We teased at the beginning. Are you ready to list your top five MCU movies? Uh, yes. No. Maybe. I can go if you need to. I do it. So here's here's what I'm here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you what I had a year ago. Okay. And this was with the caveat of like, hey, I Endgame hasn't come out yet. Mm-hmm. Far uh, Far from Home hadn't come out yet. And my thought was, what do I rewatch the most? So a year ago, here's what I was rewatching the most. Okay. Spider Man Homecoming number one. Mm-hmm. Doctor Strange number two. Ant Man number three. The Avengers number four. And Captain America Winter Soldier. That was my top five. Okay. As I rethink about that, Endgame has to go in that top five, and I'm not sure who I want to bump. It's hard. And that's and that's the thing is, and to be honest, and, and you're going to kill me for this, um, mm. I feel like it bumps. I feel like <laughs> it bumps Winter Soldier. How could you? <laughs> well, this one episode podcast was a great run. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> thank you for asking me to do this with you. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't invest. Uh, you know millions of dollars into this <laughs> but it was a short run and it was good anyway we're looking for a new co- i'm kidding uh yeah I, I i'm gonna have to, i'm afraid i might have to go winter soldier yeah so is that what, what would your final list look like that's it i i would i would definitely drop uh captain america winter soldier i'd throw in in game and in game would actually probably leapfrog dr strange ant-man and the avengers actually and it'll uh, split time with homecoming between one and two <laughs> i love it i know i i just can't commit to to it but i to, to taking spider-man homecoming off the top but well to play off that like if uh, for my first two i mean at any point you ask me they'll probably be interchangeable but what i have right now is winter soldier number one in game number two iron man three as three which i i did not appreciate the first time I watched it and having gone back and subsequent viewings, I think it might be one of the most important pieces in the MCU. I, I enjoyed it when I watched it, you know, and just a quick preview, like I enjoyed it when I watched it. I wasn't upset about the spoiler, you know, and, and not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but like this old list from a year ago, it's at number seven. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So winter soldier one in game two, Iron Man three, three, uh, Dr. Strange in fourth place. And then fifth place, I it took me a really long while to go back and forth on. It was between Spider-Man Homecoming and what I ultimately landed on, which was Black Panther. Okay. Black Panther's a good choice. Mm-hmm. I can see that being in there. You know, and maybe if I change up my criteria in terms of, like, what I personally fall back into rewatching, Black Panther would probably be higher. Yeah. But uh, we want to hear from you. If you uh, would like to chime in with what you think your top five MCU movies are, you can at us on Twitter, MCU Need to Know, or tag us on Instagram, MCU Need to Know as well. Uh, MCU Need to Know at gmail.com is where you can reach us online there too. But yeah, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And uh, thank you for doing this with me, Jude. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. I mean, I'm, I'm excited for the next one. Me too. Can't wait. All right, everybody. Yeah. See you next week. Until next time.
and that'll do it. Cool. All right, um, I need stop to stop recording now. I need to stand up. My back is killing me. <laughs> <laughs>